welcome back to another week here on The Rep. I hope and pray that your week has been well, and let's jump on in to today's episode. In honor of Valentine's Day, not really, uh, but it just seemed too easy to not mention that given our topic for today, I want us to look at the often called gospel in a nutshell passage of John 3.16 to explore the magnificent love of God shown towards us in Jesus Christ. Because when our hearts become gripped by wonder at the grace of God displayed towards us in Christ, I believe that same wonder will grip our tongues and lead us to speak about Christ to our lost co-worker, neighbor, family member, friend, or just the stranger that divine providence crosses our paths with. So here we go. John 3, 16 and verse 17, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Let's marvel at this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I once heard that a man preached a sermon on John 3.16 for every single night of a week-long revival meeting. On the last night of the scheduled services, one of the deacons of the church caught the preacher by the arm before the service and asked him what his text for the night would be. The old preacher kind of smiled and said, well, John 3.16, of course. And when the deacon pressed the preacher, are you sure there's not another text you want to preach from tonight? The old preacher looked at him sternly and said, son... I could preach this verse a hundred more times and still not exhaust the riches here. But because you apparently think that I have, well, you have only given me more reason to preach it again tonight. <laughs> I have no intention of doing a hundred episodes on John 3.16, but it does illustrate the point. The depth of grace revealed here in these verses is so deep that we ought to never grow tired of reading it. We ought to never grow tired of hearing it. And so as I contemplated this well-read text, once again, I found three things that just seemed to grip my heart with fierceness. The first is the very first phrase. And it grips my heart because that first phrase is shocking. For God so loved the world. It's shocking because the world did not love God. God. Quite the opposite, actually. I, I know this much. World is never used in the Gospel of John in a positive way. It always carries a negative connotation with it. It gives us the image of fallenness, of rebellion. It shows the creature shaking his fist at the Creator. I think that's the point of the little two-letter word there, so... It's not that the world is so great that God needed a great deal of love to embrace it all. But that God's love is so extraordinary. Because it is set upon creatures who did not love him back to begin with. Paul, in quite a few places in the New Testament, but especially in Romans, seems to highlight man's hatred of God. In fact, Paul says in Romans 5 that believers are enemies of God before Jesus Christ reconciles us back to God in peace. 
In Romans chapter 8, just after announcing how the Holy Spirit breaks the chains and frees us from our bondage of sin and ill will towards God, reminds us that before that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our flesh is hostile to God. That God loved me when I hated him is shocking to me. (laughs) It blows my mind. I can find no other suitable parallel with which to compare it. And though I may struggle to explain it, this love grips my heart and I never grow tired of hearing about it. The second idea that grips me here in this text today is that the Son of God is my substitute. It's it's the idea that the manner in which God so loved the world. One scholar has said it well. We might expect for this verse to read, for God so loved his son that he gave him the world. But we ought to be shocked to read the reverse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Gave as in giving a gift. He gave us his son who reveals God to us and redeems us to God. Jesus does this by substituting himself in our place. For we were the ones who deserved to perish, who deserved the condemnation, the wrath of God. But Jesus took our place and endured that wrath of God against our sin as our substitute. There's too much depth here for a bite-sized podcast. But I'm reminded of something Tim Keller wrote that I wanted to share. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads me to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. That the Son of God was given as my substitute. That love shocks me and grips my heart at the same time. And then we have the grand purpose, which is the third ideal gripping me. John plainly states it in what my preaching class would call a prime example of a purpose statement. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Two parts here that I feel I must mention. The first is the freeness of this love gift. I do not have to prove myself to be worthy of this love. I do not have to do something within myself to receive this gift. I do not have to offer some kind of payment, whether it be moral or monetary. It is free in the sense that God places no burden upon me to earn it. But I am required only to receive it by believing in Jesus in order to enjoy the benefits of his saving work, eternal life with God. But what does it mean to believe in Jesus? That's the other thing I really want to get at. Does it mean to acknowledge a set of historical facts? Am I to believe in the good news of John 3.16 in the same way that I believe Abraham Lincoln was once president? Or that the astronauts landed on the moon? Certainly, John is inviting me to believe more than something about Jesus. Perhaps it's better to say that the point in John 3.16 is that receiving this gift is not so much believing something about Jesus as it is believing in Jesus. There is, I think, a clear difference. 
While getting the facts about Jesus are certainly important, the gospel invites those facts to pass through my head and into my heart, to grip me and to awaken me to believe in Jesus. That is to put all my hope in the gift of his accomplished work, to put all my hope in his substitutionary death, which forever quenched the wrath of God against me, to put all my hope in the resurrected King, who ascended into heaven and is now interceding on my behalf. To put all my hope in Jesus Christ and to renounce any hope within myself. That's what it looks like to believe in Jesus as compared to just believing something about Jesus. Let me end by sharing with you one of my most favorite illustrations to use in helping people to understand what it means to biblically believe the gospel. In all my reading, which is not a whole lot, but in all my reading, I've never found a better illustration I can think of to make this point. John G. Patton, the pioneer missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, was near completing his great work translating the Bible into the language of the native people that he was trying to reach with the gospel. Imagine the difficulty of the task that he was attempting to undertake, trying to explain some of the great truths of the Bible in a language that is not your native tongue. Well, Mr. Patton, after a long time, was near to being finished with this great work, but he found that he was stuck on one word, one idea, that he could not find an equivalent in the native language that he felt adequately explained the idea of biblical faith. He was perplexed over this. And so we spent many days searching and searching and searching until one day it so happened that one of his friends, one of the native men there, burst through the front door of his house and was exhausted. The man had run a long way to see Mr. Patton. Startled by this, and before speaking a word, the man collapsed into a chair and yelled out in their native language, It's good to rest my whole weight on this chair. The light bulb went off in Mr. Patton's head, and he reportedly said, That's it. Resting one's whole weight on God. And thus he continued and finished translating the Bible into their native language. Oh, the joy of resting in the love of Jesus. It is a love that grips me and that will never let me go. Have a great Valentine's weekend. I'll see you next time. Blessings.